0: Nothing is so painful to the human mind as a great and sudden change. Beware, for I am fearless and therefore powerful. Life, although it may only be an accumulation of anguish, is dear to me and I will defend it. Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley Frankenstein. These three quotes are fantastic and a little bit of the inspiration behind the audio today nothing is so painful to the human mind as a great and sudden change how true how simple and yet it's something that has endured over or, you know how long has this been since since she wrote this it's 1818 it's over 200 years now it's 200 and t- what three years old still true today what plagued humans 200 years ago still plagues us today we fear great and sudden change it's painful for us Um, and people who are fearless usually are much more powerful because they can take action etc but the last quote was the one that i think probably stood out as different it was less inspiring less kind of like wise and it was life although it may be only be an accumulation of anguish is dear to me and i will defend it the accumulation of anguish so this audio note i wanted to go through a couple of topics and we can go through each of these topics in a little bit more detail in the uh you know the audio notes to follow so this is part of a series now and so this is going to be the incredibly fast version of it so if you find yourself at any point getting overwhelmed or confused or anything like that the don't worry about that the next ones are going to reiterate only one point in each audio okay and so for now what i'm challenging you to do is sit through this see how you go do you follow my line of logic is it too much for you because what's going to happen is let's say in the next one i'll go in deep on each of these topics i'll double click as it were on each of these topics which gives you enough time to kind of sit and swim so maybe you're a person who just wants to gobble down a lot of information great this is your audio but maybe not maybe you're a person you can imagine that this is going to be just a taster for the audios to come and that each of the audios to come is going to be like a nice exquisite sit down savor each meal okay and this is a tasting session so let's begin so what i wanted to start start with is this idea of pain life is anguish etc and the image of frankenstein frankenstein of course being a monster uh well sorry frankenstein was the doctor technically it's frankenstein's monster frankenstein's monster was literally a patchwork man he was stitched together from parts of various dead people and brought to brought to life by an energy okay great now if we take this approach and we understand your trauma your life anguish and what is truly an issue today in a lot of cultural references self-help books gurus speeches etc is to bring down and boil down all of your pain to one point in time one point in your life and rather what i would what i'd share with you is this vision that your trauma your life's patterns are informed by your trauma and your trauma although on the surface it looks like a man if you go closer to it it's actually stitched together from many different pieces of many different people and so your trauma looks like this monster But actually what it is, is it's parts of this and a little part of this and that's kind of patched together and then this and this patched together and this and this patched together. And they're actually separate parts. They're not one whole thing. The energy that binds them together is really your fear, your patterning, etc. How you respond to it is what gives it life as well. So this was the first concept. Trauma is a Frankenstein's monster. And so this brings up quite an interesting point about this, which is systems thinking. Um, things isolated on their own tend to not have as much power or effect, uh, not be as adaptable, etc. But things in a system work together in a particular way that create meaning, that self-organize as well. And so like our brain does this so we can expect our trauma to do this as well. So let's say I was traumatized by a dog when I was younger well, then what, what that means is that as, as an adult, um, that trauma can adapt itself to suit similar feelings where, let's say, I felt helpless. So every time I feel helpless, that feeling comes up that, well, my parents didn't come to my rescue, therefore I'm alone. You know, I was allowed to be mauled by this poodle and therefore, you know. So our brain kind of like adapts to our environment. And so it's a little bit of systems thinking here. Give yourself a break if you can't figure out what is the one thing that traumatized you from your childhood i'll save you a lot of the time it's a patchwork of trauma and that trauma is not actually the triggering event it is actually just the feeling that was new to you that you had never experienced before and you couldn't work through that's it so what happens is over time is you just integrated those patterns you started to kind of create beliefs and stories around those emotions um, that made sense And they will evolve and they will organize into a structural understanding of how the world works and uh, how dangerous it is. is. Unless you work through that, you need to upgrade that. And um, unless you work through that and upgrade that, you're going to be plagued by these types of traumas and they're going to have a lot of control over you. Okay. So that being said, let's move on to the next piece, which is very much looking at a point Um, And I like to call it salience versus the nature of a thing. So if I quickly Google the meaning of uh, salience, okay, I'll read it out to you. It says, salience of an item is the state or quality by which it stands out from its neighbors. Okay. Saliency detection is considered to be a key attentional mechanism that facilitates learning and survival by enabling organisms to focus their limited perceptual and cognitive resources to the most pertinent subset subset of the available sensory data. So salience is basically your ability to see, you know, this is different because of the most observable thing. Okay, that's it. This is different because... This is different because. So it's literally, this stands out from the crowd because, okay. And so when you are looking at uh, your trauma, you know, you can define things as, or, you know, like the reasons for your trauma, you can define them according to what is around you. And so this is where I like to talk about context as well. You are contextualizing your trauma. This was traumatic for you because more so than this because and so very much using a comparative brain structure your brain is based around making comparisons and salience is all about seeing what stands out what isn't comparable and what is kind of like this and what is not like them so if you've got 10 things and nine of them look similar and one of them is like two feet taller saliency says that you're going to be able to spot that one and pay more attention to that one this is the same idea that um uh, is spoken about in the book the purple cow by uh what was that guy's name again the purple cow was by the yahoo ex-ceo um what's his name again oh i can't remember. Seth godin that's it i finally got it sorry it took me a while but uh, yeah so the point of saliency is actually very important for us it's how to catch attention and so we tend to stick on the salient points but that won't allow us to get very far just like viewing our trauma as a Frankenstein's monster won't allow us to get very far. We have to go deeper. We have to identify each of the pieces, the body parts, who does it come from? What was the energy that animated them, etc. What does this monster want? All of that kind of stuff. So looking at your trauma, you can inform a lot about your pain and your trauma by looking at, well, what do you want today? Um, where was your trauma? Why did you experience that trauma? Great. So that's saliency. Okay, fine. Well, um, my mom didn't pick me up from soccer practice, so I felt abandoned. Great. Got it. So now the question is, is that will actually inform a lot of what you do. Well, you know, you're, you know, you had that feeling of abandonment. How much did you practice that and repeat that and justify it and adapted and molded itself to your life story. So now the fear of abandonment is something that's written in your life code. And so the result is that you don't you either number 1 have an unhealthy pattern where you don't allow people to even get a chance to to abandon you you abandon people before they do or number 2 is that um you know you allow them to abandon you and when they do you kind of sink into this like self a self-fulfilling prophecy of everyone will abandon me eventually okay and so What's more important is diving into the nature of. So like I said, saliency versus the nature of. Instead of understanding something in relation to other things, oh, okay, well, my mom didn't pick me up that one time, therefore, I'll say, you know, you can go back and work through that and say, what was the meaning of my mom not doing that? Right? Oh, it was this. Well, that's all good and rational. And so I'm not suggesting this as a way to work through trauma. I'm suggesting this as a way to identify what were the real reasons. Okay. So if we take this and we talk about the real reasons why, why do you want success? Why do you want to build this business? Why do you want to be rich and famous? Why do you want all these things? What is the meaning? What's going on behind the thing? Okay. So salience versus the nature of a thing when we're talking about trauma, it's just a good way to kind of like see behind the veil. What is the real reason? Okay. And there's typically two or three layers to go to for this. Well, uh, why are you doing this business? Well, I want money. Well, why do you want the money? What, what's the point of it? And why do you want money in this way? Oh, well, I want the money because I want to feel powerful. I don't want to be powerless. Oh, okay, well, then it's about power. What, well, what's behind that need for power? When were you powerless? And like, how did that feel? Like, what were the situations that you connect with it? Just identifying this and going three or four questions deep around this. You don't have to say, why do you want money? Well, because I want to be powerful. Why do you want to be powerful? Well, because I uh, I want to be this. I want to be this that's not going to give you enough. You have to really dig into the meaning behind that initial answer, not just trying to keep going behind every single answer. Okay. And so what you'll begin to see is your lopsided development. And what I mean by that is I want you to imagine that all you did was exercise one arm and the other arm, you didn't allow it to work out at all. Sometimes you see this, we do have slight lopsided developments in our body, we have imbalances, you know, like some people you could see it very obviously, others it's not so obvious. You tend to see this with people who are a little bit older, for example, you can see shoulders once it's higher than the other, Um, you know, the spine, people don't stand up straight all the time, so people will have like small curvatures that develop over time as well. You know there's a whole host of things that can come up with lopsided development so imagine your brain and patterns and your range of skills you will just naturally start favoring one side one way of doing things over all the others and it's a lot of hard work to try to balance the brain train it out and so if you want to talk about brain muscles if we dig into purposes of the brain then we can talk about social muscles emotional muscles and informational muscles or data muscles if you will okay and then we can talk about physical muscles as well of course which helps the brain to balance all these things sensory muscles etc like how sensitive are your taste buds how much have you trained the muscles which look for saliency in flavors So people who are um, wine sommeliers, yes, I had to define that a person can be a wine sommelier. I watched that Netflix documentary with Zac Efron where there was a water sommelier. Like, really? I guess. Sure, why not? Must be an in-demand position. Anyway, (laughs) the idea of lopsided development is that um, figuring out what is numb in, your, in yourself, in your emotional skills, social skills, what are you numb to and what are you sensitive to? And trying to develop more of that sensitivity in places where you, you very simply are a little bit numb. You cannot, in certain situations, see salient points and investigate reasons and the nature of a thing and the, the reasons behind the thing as well. So a quick example for you that is... Uh, a demonstration of all of this is gonna be, um, if you've heard of hedonic adaptation. Now, hedonic adaptation is a quick and easy fix. Uh, let me give you an example. When you are buying something off Amazon, you're like, ooh, I need this thing, and you buy it. And when it arrives, you get, you know, that typical hit of fulfillment. If you want to break it down neurochemically, you can say you get that dopamine rush, retail therapy, I bought this thing, I feel great. And then a few hours later, it dawns on you that nothing in your life has changed, that this thing hasn't added or taken away any value to your life. You managed to distract yourself for a little bit of time and you've come back now. And so what they've actually found is um, with hedonic adaptation and this type of adaptation process with people who win the lottery and with people who go to jail, you actually have a similar adaptation. Okay? people win the lottery, let's say before they win the lottery, their life Happiness fulfillment is let's say a six out of ten after they win the lottery for a year There will be so much more but after a year once they've adapted To that amount of money or they've run that roller coaster of spending all that money and investing in whatever They will be back at that set point again of six out of ten because none of the skills have changed The only thing that's changed is something in the environment. So a skill a literal muscle growth has not happened, has not occurred. You've stimulated something from the outside, okay? Now, it's the same thing for um, the adaptation to prison, okay? According to the studies, what you're talking about is a person who goes to prison, their life happiness score just goes way down. But after a year, they'll bring it back up again because we have a natural skill set in our minds, a natural balance of, you know, muscles of data, emotions, and social And so it's about these things. So investigating your own trauma is kind of like exercising these muscles as well. Now, working with people through their learning, you can see a lot of this where learning is often informed by one of two motives, learning for passion or learning for absolute need. I need this thing because it's going to bring me more money. So I I, got to learn fast. I need this degree. Therefore, I've got to pass everything with 100% so that I can get that great job. And so learning comes out of needs. So working with people who are a little bit older, you know, maybe 30 plus, you start working with people who are learning for pleasure, for fun, for passion. They're learning for the reasons that really are uh, basically classified as self-enrichment, self-enrichment. It's actually better to work in this realm and as much as you can try and put everything to self-enrichment and in order to do that you need to make sure that you're ticking those boxes of you know needs by saying i don't need this degree i'm sure i will be successful without this degree but i'd love to get this degree and i would love to learn more about this degree and so it comes into this and so your hedonic adaptation has got nothing to do with this if you approach everything with a complete joy, a passion of learning, then there are no obstacles to overcome. There is no lottery to win, so to speak, of getting this thing. You know, like, why are you learning a language? Well, I, I want to be able to speak fluently so I can, I can f- get that feeling of just being awesome. Or get that job. Or go to that country and just impress the pants off of someone. Okay, great. That's fine. But very simply, as soon as you do that that feeling is going to come back and leave you again. So rather think about it from that perspective of learn as as a means of just enriching your life and just developing yourself. Okay. So that's that way attacking your learning, you'll be able to balance out your lopsided development emotionally, socially and data driven, okay? And all of this, all of this goes back to salience versus the nature of a thing. You know, so instead of defining something by its comparative um, values, you actually go into the thing itself and understand the purpose of the thing, the context of the thing, etc. And it goes back to the idea that we are looking at a systems-based approach to uh, understanding something. In this example, I was talking about trauma. We can understand it with regard to purpose and defining purpose. But I want you to understand whatever you think is usually one thing is usually a Frankenstein's monster of multiple things stitched together. And it's our job to actually pull it apart and understand each of the pieces. That our brain constructed each of these pieces based on how strong the emotional input was and um, how social that, uh, that context was. So like the face might be... Um, a person, but actually the torso would be a different person. So an example for you, a very personal example. When I was um, twenty years old, I tried to kill myself. And really, the reason at the time that was salient for me, the one that I thought of above everything else in my mind at that time, was that this girl rejected me. and that was the reason. When I looked behind that girl rejecting me, it wasn't about her. A lot of it was go- had to do with, basically, I'm, I'm, I said to myself, like, if she doesn't like me, you know, my life is meaningless. And so going into the nature of the thing itself, what was going behind that meaning of saying, like, my, my life is meaningless, was that I had no direction in life, number one. And my relationships with family and friends w- was not as deep as what I wanted them to be. And I did not have, like I said, any clear vision of my future. And so the face of my Frankenstein's monster in that particular case might have been, um, you know, the rejection of that girl, let's say, which wasn't even a hard rejection. I mean, it was just literally the fact that she, you know, wanted to, you know, cool things down and be friends. And I was like, no, but I love you. Don't you understand? Didn't you see my my poem that I sent you 15 times? You know, a little bit like uh, maladjusted. A lot of lopsided development led to that point. And so the trauma, the actual Frankenstein's monster itself, the entire body of it, everything, was what I was talking about. Relationships with friends, family, the recency of meaninglessness in my life, the uh, purposelessness that I felt at the time, as well as money, you know, as well as where I lived. If you didn't have a car, you couldn't get around, and I didn't have money, and I didn't know how to fix my problems, and blah, 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 blah. It built up, and it was like the entire monster, where the face of it, the thing that I was looking at and focused on at the time, the thing that was salient at the time, was this girl. And that was it. And really, you know, years and years and years later now, it's over, no, it's, about, it's about two decades on now. Um, the entire point is that, um, you know, I don't think about it anyway in terms of the girl. Like she, she's no one special in my life now. And back in those days, literally had just met her basically and projected all of my wants and my feelings onto her and i'm sure you've seen this in a million netflix (laughs) series and all that kind of crap but the the point is is that um honestly we what we think is such a strong um meaning or purpose or thing in our life we can actually break it down notice it dive into the nature of the thing, go behind the meaning of it, recognize our lopsided development from it, and therefore come back. And so one of the greatest things that I was able to do was able to give my life a little bit more of a purpose. And that purpose was, you know, something that I I couldn't see in the past. I couldn't see it until I was 30-something. A little bit more purpose, a little bit more purpose every single day. Um, Being able to then address my lopsided development as well, clear up a lot of relationships with family and friends and i'm better for it as a result i have healthier patterns as a result and so i hope this audio has helped you i hope this audio has given you a couple of ideas to think about again uh do not leave me a five-star review or anything like that you know don't want feedback and comments unless they're coming from the heart unless this really speaks to you Don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to do that. What I am going to ask you to do, surprise, surprise, (laughs) share this. Share this and speak to someone that you think could benefit from this, from hearing this or having this presented. Start a conversation on it. Start a conversation. It's the biggest thing. And that would mean the world to me. If you want to share that with me and say, you know what, Justin, this started a great conversation. Thank you very much. It would make my day and that would be my purpose. And if you don't, you know, like I'll be forever in prison, you know, I'm just kidding, of course not. But it's always nice to be appreciated and nice to know that there's value being generated. So I hope you all have a wonderful week and I will see you in the next one.